You're listening to the Beaver Tales podcast, which features exclusive interviews with former Oregon State student-athletes. We talk about what they did at OSU, what the transition was like away from college athletics, and what they're passionate about now. Here's a little taste of what's coming up on this episode. You could write a book on this. Baseball is the game of life, right? It's almost identical to life in the sense that there's so much failure. So the mindset in the game, if we can capture something that's going to help us be successful and then take the same mindset into life, well, we got a good shot to have success. That's coming up on this episode. This is the Beaver Tales podcast with Josh Wharton, who has covered Oregon State athletics since 2013. Wow, wow, wow. It is time for the return. Kyle Novak comes back to the Beaver Tales podcast. Whenever people ask me what my favorite episode is, I can never go long or never list more than a couple names. Sometimes even just I say, I think Kyle Novak's number one, or I'll list three and include him. Either way, point being, Kyle Novak has been one of my favorite interviews and this one is fantastic as well. We actually talked for almost an hour. I trimmed it down to about half of that. And I'll use the rest for the Beaver Tales documentary, a whole project I'm working on covering the history of the Oregon State baseball team, in particular the 2018 team on which Kyle Novak was a national champion. Now, a large portion of this conversation is not just about Kyle's career, although he is still coaching. He's the head coach of the Bend Elks. They did have their summer league canceled this year. He's expecting to go back next summer and start out with them. He's working at Base by Pros, an academy up in Washington, and he's hoping eventually to come back and coach college baseball that's his career goals but today we're talking about the mental game and how the mental game helped him as a player and how it impacts him as a person now he worked with some sports psychologists as did other Oregon State players while they were at OSU there's Alan Jager there's Greg Warburton another name he brought up in the first podcast Colin Henderson actually had a podcast with Colin you may have heard it a month or two ago Even if you don't remember those names or you kind of lose track of which guy is which, that's okay. But the principles that we talk about, the fundamentals of what the mental game is, I think that's what I'm trying to get across more. In this podcast, those individual people, and if he brings up the name Alan Jager or if I ask about Greg Warburton, it's okay if you don't quite remember exactly what their roles were, but they'll definitely come up in the documentary when you hopefully listen to that and you'll see exactly how each of these guys made an impact in Oregon State Baseball. Really awesome stuff. There's also one other story. We kind of revisit the Pat Casey story briefly. If you listen to the first podcast, when Kyle Novak first came to Oregon State 2015, Pat Casey really got after him, challenged him, taunted him, was really aggressive, and Kyle Novak didn't like it at first, wasn't used to that sort of thing, but ultimately rose to the challenge and saw that Pat Casey was trying to get the most out of him, not just trying to beat him down for no purpose. Kyle Novak became a better player because of that. After that conversation, I started to wonder, I know that Pat Casey could do that to Kyle Novak because Kyle is an intense dude and he can take intense coaching. That's why Pat Casey did it in the first place. But I also wondered if Kyle Novak is already intense, he already is a motivated player. So why would Pat Casey get after him so much? Because it's not like Pat Casey's trying to get him to become motivated or passionate about baseball, he already is. So what is it that Kyle Novak lacked that Pat Casey was trying to get out of him? That's what I wondered, and that's what I asked him about 15 or 20 minutes into this conversation. So let's go ahead and take a listen. For the second time on the Beaver Tales podcast, I'm pleased and honored to welcome Kyle Novak. (laughs) 
So for you, did you work more with Alan Jager and Tyler Graham? Did you work with Greg Warburton, both of them? How did you approach it? Yeah, so I, I worked with all of them. I mean, I think every, you know, the one of the most important pieces, I think just being at Oregon State in general is there were so many resources, right, Josh? So I, I figured, you know, being a walk-on and also I came from a junior college. So, you know, I came from a place where like, you know, it was real gritty where you're wearing the same thing for an entire week to practice and you don't get bats and you don't. So the resources, you know, at that junior college were very slim. So when I got to OSU, I was like, okay, well, there's so many things that can help me here. And so I wanted to be a sponge. So I worked with, you know, Josh and I worked with Alan Yeager and, you know, I worked with uh, really all the resources I could and uh, they all are unique in their own way, I think, uh, you know, and I think today just everything that I was able to do, you know, spending time and, and just getting mentored with them has allowed me to, you know, really understand my own way to explain it and really be able to help and serve people now, which is kind of what I'm doing a little bit through the business is, is, is building some of that stuff for, you know, younger athletes and, and just helping educate them and, and how to think about the game. Because really, I, I don't know, when it comes down to it, I think baseball you could write a book on this. Baseball is the game of life, right? It's almost identical to life in the sense is there's so much failure. So the mindset in the game, if we can capture something that's going to help us be successful and then take the same mindset into life, well, we got a good shot to, to, to have success. So what is kind of the biggest thing that you learned from one of those guys, whether it be Alan or Greg, as they start to talk about the, the potential problems that people who don't focus on the mental game may run into and they don't know how to deal with it. What, yeah. what did you learn? You know, I think the biggest piece, and, and I mean, there's obviously so many avenues when it comes to the mental game that we could talk about. Um, but I think something that was, you know, misportrayed a lot of my life and, and something I didn't understand was this idea of, of no fear or being fearless, right? You, you, you hear people talking about that all the time. Like, hey, you know, be fearless in, in everything you're doing. And to me, that, that, that didn't work. And, you know, so I think the first step in the mental game was truly understanding that I wasn't alone, that every single person was dealing with the things that I was dealing with. And people weren't fearless. Everybody feels fear. I, th I think that's one of the big ones is, is understanding that perspective shift and really knowing that, hey, you don't have no fear. You got to understand what it is. And then when you understand what it is, then we can help use it to, to drive us and, and rather than pull us behind. One of the biggest things that I've heard Alan bring up, Greg bring up, Tyler bring up, all the players who work with them is the instance of negative thoughts. You come yeah. in, you start disbelieving yourself. You start worrying, am I going to miss this pitch? Am I going to strike out? Whatever it may be. How often did you feel like have those negative thoughts and start to know how to handle them differently? Yeah, without questions, you know, I think a lot of it to answer your question starts with the first mental skill that we're talking about is self-awareness, right? So the awareness of that, you know, you don't know what you don't know. That's really the first step in the mental game is, is becoming aware that, hey, I'm thinking of this certain way, or, you know, I'm having these thoughts come in. So, you know, when I first rolled in Oregon State, I would say I was, I was very unaware, especially the first, you know, few months. Um, and I struggled really bad. And, and that internal talk, like you're saying, was so negative. Everything was negative. You know, 80% of human thought is negative. I said this on the last podcast. I was kind of listening to it a little bit this morning, but 80% of human thought is negative, right? So when you first start becoming aware, like, holy smokes, like I talk to myself in a way that is so negative. And, you know, I don't think it's necessarily being this positive, like, 
you know, light or, or just being this overwhelming positiveness. I think, like you said, it's recognizing, hey, that we are really negative. And then it's really being able to switch that thinking to a neutral or to a, you know, just something that is, is upbringing that's going to help you. You know, I think the negativity and the negative talk can, can kind of help you as well. You know, in the moment, if I was struggling or I was, you know, tired being a baby, I would kind of talk to myself in a way that would fire my own self up. Like, Hey dude, you're, you're being a baby right now. Like you need to, you need to kick it in your butt. So I don't think it's so much all positiveness, but it's just really eliminating the negative and then using talking to yourself in a way that that gets you to go, gets you to move forward. Did you, in terms of then flipping that or handling that in a more healthy way, did you have a phrase that you used or, or a way to, to, you know, a lot of guys had the three word phrase. What did you do? Yeah, like anchor statements, really. I mean, you, you have self-awareness and then the second, you know, mental skill really is self-talk. Like we got to be aware of our thoughts, number one, and then we, you know, have to be aware of how we talk to ourselves, and then we need to change that. So like you said, yes, there's few anchor statements that I had, you know, I think one of the biggest ones was I'm a beast and everybody on my team, on the team would say that to me and, and I would say it to myself. And then as I, you know, moved on and, and continued to, you know, grow in this game, you know, I think that's the biggest thing I've learned, Josh, is this mental game. I haven't stopped growing and learning. I've just continued to to educate myself and, and be able to understand this in different ways is, you know, a lot of those anchor statements have changed. You know, I think a lot of, of playing sports my whole life, I was defined by a lot of, of what I was doing. And, you know, when I got out of playing, I, I started to realize that, you know, sports and things don't define my life. And with that perspective, that is an anchor statement I have today is, you know, I'm not defined by you know, what I do, how, how my success is, how I get this kid to hit in a cage. Like I'm not defined by that. What defines me is my own philosophy that I've created for my own life. And that's how I judge my performance. You know, was I authentic? Did I have courage? Was I willing to do whatever it took? And, and then valuing the things that I value in life and really judging my performance based on, on those, if that makes sense. Did the meditation sessions help you if you did those regularly? What, what did that do for you? Yeah, I mean, the meditation was pro arguably probably, I would say, the most important piece. I kind of had a, a weird case, like my whole life, I've, I've maybe had this cuff of, of ADHD. And, you know, I did some testing and stuff when I was down at OSU, where they tried to give me some medicine. And today, I don't use any of that. Like, I don't need a pill to sit down and shut up. But a lot of it is used from, you know, the meditation. And, you know, the meditation was really a practice of keeping my mind in the present moment, like you were saying before, is, is, is first, it helps you become aware of, of those thoughts and then how you're thinking in performance and then really being able to visualize myself in that performance in such a state that I was so calm where nothing else mattered. You know, it was, it was one thought or it was this feeling, this sensation of such a calmness that I was able to really prepare beforehand and then, and then go into the game. You know, in life, everything happens twice, first in our mind, than in real life. But the meditation was a big piece of that. I think the preparation of that, because really all meditation is, is training your concentration and your focus. And really all baseball is, is a game of concentration and focus and what team can stay focused and in the present moment, the longest is going to win. I'm glad you brought up Colin. I, 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 when I talked with him, he, I really appreciated how he put some meat to the bones. And I know you didn't meet him until after your Oregon State career, but everything he said was so applicable to what you had done at Oregon State. And even because I was asking about like the visualization, I'd heard Zach Taylor say, you visualize something, you, you, your mind can't tell the difference between a mental rep and a physical rep. And I thought that makes sense. But 
is there a study to show that to really convince people? And he started listing off studies of, you know, the weightlifting thing, the people who even just imagined weightlifting still built muscle and, and the blood you know, flowed to the muscles. And I was like, okay, there, there is some really legitimate scientific stuff. And I'm sure you learned a lot from that from Colin. Yeah. You know, Colin has definitely been an incredible mentor for me in, in terms of, you know, he's 10 years ahead of me in life and has, has repped it, you know, and, and I think the one thing he's really, you know, helped me with is I could do whatever I wanted to do. If I wanted to speak on this, it's really just a matter of doing it. It's, it's personal experience, it's action. And that's why Colin is so good at what he does. He's not different than other people, but he's done it so much. Repetition is the mother of mastery. So all he does is rep these talks and talk and talk and, and talk about this stuff. And then eventually you start to become that. And that's who you are. And I think the thing that is so incredible about Colin and why it works is because he's authentic. Like he's not talking about the stuff and then he goes, you know, behind closed doors and he's doing something else. Like he's a true man of character and, and what he talks about is authentic and real. And that's why it's, why it's good. And the same thing for us with that Oregon state and us doing the mental game, like we did it. That's why it's real. And when we talk to you about it, you're like, Oh, maybe, maybe this was a big piece of what they were doing. There's a lot of stuff with the mental game. And as we come through some a few of the memories from 2018 maybe some of those stuff will crop up and in, in some of the plays in particular as far as your physical well-being I know you I mean you missed 2017 obviously so you're playing in 2018 but how how healthy were you actually down the stretch in 2018 like how is your body doing and your knee doing in 2018 I, don't know. I was I was at least 75% probably like I wasn't very healthy at all and I mean 75% is good but I, 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 I think whether you think you are or you aren't, you're right. So coming back to the mental game, it's all about what you think, right? So, you know, for me in my own mind, I have prepared as if I was healthy, as if I was ready to play and see myself in this state of play. And that's why I was able to do it is because I prepared in my mind and it didn't feel good, Josh, it didn't. And, you know, I just knew I was at a point in my life where I could push it. And I knew that, okay, I'm on the cuff of, of playing professional baseball and not playing professional baseball. If I was healthy, I probably would have played professional baseball without questions. Like I had met with almost every organization. But to me, I think winning the national championship was more important than anything else. Like that is what, that's why I went to Oregon State when I was 12 years old, sitting in the living room, watching the game with my father. And I told my dad, I was watching Coach Canham. That's really how I saw the Beavs and knew who they were. I was like, dad, I'm going to do this. And you know, thoughts become things. That was one of our mottos at Oregon State. Like, you know, when I was 12, I thought about that. And then I, I worked and I continued to get there. So, you know, I was at a point in my life where there was no doubt, Josh, I was playing, you know, and when I sat in that doctor's office and had that second surgery, you know, doc was like, hey, this surgery could put you out four to eight weeks. And I, I told him literally to his face, I was like, no disrespect, doc, it was Dr. Pennington. I said, I'm gonna play in two weeks. And I did. And I, and I did what I said I was going to stay. And it comes back to the self-talk thing is how we talk to ourselves. When you tell yourself you're going to do something, do it. And that is how the self-talk works is you have to trust yourself and what you're saying to yourself, then you can do it. You and I both have had knee surgery with Pennington. He did my, my ACL. When did you, yeah. When did you have that second one where you ended up getting back two weeks later? Yeah, that was the, the weekend of Cal State Fullerton. So I had that on like a Wednesday and then I sat in the clubby because they have that, you know, old locker room. So they got a clubhouse like in the dugout that you can go up and then there's TVs and stuff. We'd watch the game from there. So if there was like a replay or something, you could run up there and check it out. But I sat on that couch 
for that whole series, the whole game, ice in my leg every 20 minutes and just watching this game. And so that was the weekend I had it. Then the team went to Cal. They went on the road down there on a Pac-12 series. And then the next weekend was the Huskies in town. And then that Friday night game got rained out. So we put a doubleheader Saturday. There was a one memory I'd talked with Case about was I asked him about the second Minnesota game, Super Regionals. And I said, I think there's some story about Novak being in the lineup or not being in the lineup. I don't know if you remember this. And he said, oh, I remember I remember that story. And I feel like you do too. What what happened in the lead up to that game? You had been in the lineup, the first Minnesota game, and then you weren't going to play in the second one, but then you did. So what do you what do you recall from that? Yeah, you know, I I uh, I, th- I heard this story, I think it was on the podcast you did with Case later on, where he was talking about how he had a player come into his locker room and, and wanted me to play in the lineup, and that was Nick Madrigal. And really, that's the way that I played in, in that Minnesota lineup. And I think it's testament to the, to the leadership that we had. You know, I think that's really why we were such a great program. You know, we had a lot of leaders on our team, guys that led their own lives, guys that, you know, really cared about what they were doing. But really, you know, deep down, our ultimate leader obviously was Pat, but Madrigal was our ultimate leader in terms of how he played and then, and then just the attitude that he had, the boldness that he had. Um, you know, I, I could tell you a story about, you know, when we didn't have coaches at practice, it didn't matter. Like the, the attitude and, and the intensity was still the standard was always the sky. And, and part of that was because of Nick's bold attitude. Like we all knew why we were there, what we were doing, and it was obvious. And if we weren't doing those things, well, we were held accountable. We were told, hey, okay, if you're doing these things, you're not going to play or you're not going to be doing this. And guys knew. And, and, and so Nick was a real reason why I was in that lineup. And, uh, you know, obviously I, I, I think I had, I was at a point in my life, I put so much time into this game. And, uh, you know, I, I, I'm a firm believer that at a certain point, this game does reward people for the work that they've put in. And, and same with life. I mean, we're going to fail and fail and fail. But at a certain point, you, you can bust through. You know, you never know when, when that time's going to be. And, and looking at everything as an opportunity. It was just an opportunity for me to show that, hey, I, I'm, I'm healthy enough to, to make a push here. And, and I sat a year later, bowling my eyes out next to Case on, on that chair in 17. You know, we're going to win the national championship. And that was a lot of the reason why I was so driven. And even though I wasn't healthy, I, there was no doubt, Josh. We had talked a fair amount about Case last time. And so already, I've, you know, we, we've talked about that. I think that that story is well told. And, and I'll definitely use a lot of that in the documentary. But there's one part I'm still curious about with, you know, coming in in 2015, I guess it was, your, your first year, your fall ball and Case is getting after you and challenging you and you you ultimately, you know, stand up and use it as a challenge rather than as an attack. The one question I had is Case did that because you had a certain fire and intensity that he also had. So he knew he could challenge you and you wouldn't break. But the thing I'm wondering is if you had that intensity and fire, wouldn't that also mean that you were already motivated. So it wasn't like you were lazy and needed something. Maybe it's to the element of like you, you were already good, but you needed to be great. Maybe it's something along those lines. You see what I'm saying? Yeah, no, that's, that's a a great question. I think what it comes down to is what I was talking about earlier that I was unaware. Like, yeah, I had that fire. Sure. But case made me aware that there was another person inside of me and I just needed to figure out how to pull that person out of me. Um, You know, and, and, 
I got to the point where, you know, I had created this person that when we stepped between the light, white lines, I, it was different. Like I was totally dialed into what I was doing and I didn't have that, that it factor before. And, you know, obviously it wasn't every single game that I was this unbelievable player, but you know, he had, I would say awakened that person inside of me and, and made me, you know, work harder for something than I ever have in my life. And, you know, the more that I did this, Josh, the more confidence that I grew, the more that I became aware of, of what I was doing and the more I was aware of how to have success, you know, and it's no different than the best performers in the world. They're aware of what brings them success and then they just rep it over and over and over. So eventually I was able to develop my own process, my own understanding, my own coach because that's what we have to be at at a certain point and I was able to you know rep and rep it and rep it and rep it and prepare myself the best but you're right you know beginning walking in and <clears throat> going in and, and you know facing case it was it was a different beast and I think really he knew that there was something somebody inside of me but he also knew that if he didn't get that person out of me in the, in a that short amount of time that we had together that I was gone and that's really how it worked at Oregon State if you didn't perform and you weren't the guy, it's tough. It's next guy up. Like, that's just the culture there. It was really fun to talk with Max Gordon, too, and, and him talk with you before you kind of came around the corner and he was kind of giving you some advice and saying, to, you know, stand up to him, just tell him I'm starting today in left field, that sort of thing. Because that was, that was he had been through that, too. Yeah, you know, Max Gordon, I mean, I, I think the crazy thing is, is, you know, everybody talks about family and really Oregon State is family. Forget about me, I love you is what it means. And, you know, whether it was Max Gordon, whether it was, you know, just anybody involved in the organization, they wanted to help, you know, especially people that have had an impact because they all know how difficult it is to play there. But they also know how it is, is when you break those limitations on yourself, how good of a feeling that is, because then you leave the place and you realize there are no limits. I can do whatever I want to do with my life with enough time, effort and dedication. Hey, real quick, the Beaver Tales documentary is coming out a couple of months from now. You probably heard me harp on this a whole bunch already, so I'm not going to say much more about it. Just go check out the link in the description. You can join the email list or just look at the website for the Beaver Tales documentaries covering the 2018 Beaver baseball team. All right, that's it. That's all I'm going to say. Well, let's get back to the conversation. I asked Kyle Novak about some crazy plays in Omaha, specifically where some umpire rulings went against Oregon State's way, like the Adley Rutschman interference call and some other plays. So we talked about how he felt the odds were stacked against Oregon State. I mean, it was crazy. And there was also even a play in the game where I remember there was a pitching change. This is in North Carolina. I think the game we lost, but there was a ball hit down the line that was fouled by like two feet. Trev's like, dude, this ball is fouled by two feet. And Trev's playing right field and saw it right in front of his eyes. And so I remember being out there and we were having a discussion where I would say those emotions were high and things started to take over where we almost felt like as if everybody was against us. I think the same thing happened there is, you know, there were some calls or, or things that would happen that were totally out of our control, but they weren't the right calls. And we were like, well, what the heck? This isn't fair. So you know, I think a lot of it is really being able to have that mentality of, of just next pitch and, and just moving on. Like, even though bad things are happening around us, we got to keep going. And uh, that was really the attitude of, of Oregon State baseball, man, is we were going to keep coming up after you. As It didn't matter. Like, if you were against us, put the umpires against us. Put the whole entire 20,000 Arkansas fans in the stadium doing the Wu Pig, Suey or whatever. And we're going to we're going to compete. Right. We were coming at you still. 
When you were playing left field, speaking of the Arkansas fans, did you hear any cat calls either at you or Trevor Larnick, Kwani? Did you hear anything in particular? Cat calls? Yeah, like, like, like taunts. Oh, yeah. I mean, they were saying my name every two seconds, three seconds, the entire, I mean, all of the series until really the last, till the end there. But they were doing everything they could to, to distract me. And, you know, I, I, I definitely, I, I think what helped me a little bit was um, one of my coaches at my junior college was Cody Atkinson is his name. <clears throat> He's the minor league hitting coordinator with the Rangers right now. But he played at a, a smaller D1 where he played at LSU. And I remember him telling me this story about when they went to LSU and uh, they were playing the opener there and LSU had just won the national championship. So there was all these people in the stands and their student section was just, you know, absolutely just getting after him. And he almost had a game with him and had fun with it. So I think that's what I tried to do is look at it in a way that like, you know, this isn't negative, but I could use it and, and just not let it affect me and almost kind of feel me, you know. Uh, the greatest thing was the first person I heard this happened to was Trevor. Really? I mean, when I talked to Kwani, all the outfielders were getting in probably all the players, but I think the student section or a lot of the Arkansas fans were close to the outfielders yeah. was their taunting Trevor Larnick. And he had struck out a couple times in game two. Yeah. And then his home run is to right field, right where he was playing. That's just perfect. Yeah, it is absolutely perfect. I think they were chanting Trevor's girlfriend's name and all kinds of stuff. Uh, they were ruthless for sure. I even told my, my family at dinner I was like don't go out to left field because you're gonna be hearing some stuff you don't want to hear and just because I mean it was not a lot of it was uh I would say on the positive end I mean they wanted to win right and a lot of these guys are drinking beers and you know getting all liquored up so they got that liquid courage Josh and they were just let me have it <laughs> uh those are good speaking of game two people talk about the ninth inning the pop-up Trevor's home run but the first five innings of that game were pretty crazy. I mean, Arkansas took the lead. Oregon State gets it back, but then leaves the bases loaded. Arkansas kind of capitalizes on that momentum, takes the, re- the lead right back. How were you feeling of the swings of the first five innings of that game? Yeah, you know, I think one of the things I, I really distinctly remember is, you know, when Arkansas would score or something would happen, that place erupted. Like, I could just feel this energy and this – and it was such – it was unlike anything I'd really experienced. I mean, that was the biggest stage I had ever played on. Um, but I think, you know, yeah, you're right. that They did capitalize on some stuff, but there was also some place that we capitalized on too that, you know, kind of eliminated a lot of that momentum and just guys stepping up. But I think the hardest or the best thing that we had on our side is just offensively, like, you know, we were so good defensively. We just needed to pitch and get some outs. And offensively, each guy in our lineup was such an incredible hard out you know, we saw pitches, we fought off, you know, borderline pitches, we didn't strike out a lot. Um, So we kind of just wore people down, I think. And, um, you know, we just had a bunch of bunch of warriors and and fighters that that didn't give up. And we just kept kind of scratching away inning by inning and didn't let things get out of hand and try to minimize the damage that was being done. And, And we were able to do that, Josh. Are there any other moments that maybe that, that haven't gotten talked about that, that were significant, either significant plays that, that have stuck in your mind or things that happened? I forget if I asked you this the first time I asked a few guys this, but any, any other moments that, that maybe we haven't talked about or have never, you know, nobody wrote an article about it, but, but deserves some credit, anything like that? You know, I actually got a few, I've got a lot of quotes here that just when Case would talk, I would, I would quote book them. And I have like 40 to 50 quotes here that were just kind of stuck in. And, you know, every time he talked, I, you know, I guess this is a good thing is, is listening to case talk. I always figured, okay, well, he's one of the best coaches to ever do this. Right. So 
I should probably pay attention to what he says. So I tried to journal, I tried to read and write things down. But one of the things that I think he talked about the most was a quote that says, look at your habits and you see your future. This is really what stuck with me with the program is you look at your habits, you see your future. And one of the habits I noticed with Pat is he read a lot. He was very educated. And then our habits just as, as players and how we train directly determined our future. So, you know, me moving forward in my life that I think what I took from Pat in that, in that program is, is what are my habits? What am I consistently doing? Because that's bringing me to the future. And it's, it's really molding my beliefs and who I am, you know, so I, I could tell you, I think a lot of different avenues of how it influenced me, what I learned, but that's a big one. You look at your habits, you see your future. Uh, courage is contagious. When a brave man takes a stand, the spines of others are stiffened. That's on the locker room door at before we walk out. Courage is contagious. And then really one man's will can become a team's will if enough individuals are willing. You know, there's so many nuggets that sucked with me and, and, and just things that have developed, helped me develop my own understanding to be able to explain it. So I don't know, Josh, I, I think we could talk for hours and hours and hours on this. I really do. And, you know, I think at the end of the day, we talked about mindset to begin with here, right? So for me, mindset is a conditioned set of beliefs that drive your behavior. Well, culture is a conditioned set of beliefs that drive behavior for a team. And the mindset that each individual had in that program became the culture, which the culture was everybody's beliefs and, and values. And that's what drove our behavior. And we, we loved each other, Josh. That's what we won, man. We, we trained. And I think every guy genuinely, truly did care about each other. And while everybody has an ego, I think we were able to subside a lot of that and uh, realize that, hey, this is a, a small portion of our lives. If we are dialed into this and we do what we're supposed to do, it's going to change our lives forever. And it's going to be something we could always talk about. Well, whenever I listen to Kyle Novak, I get pretty juiced. I always feel like I'm learning something really important, finding out something about myself I didn't know, seeing a new way of life, a new method of living that I just hadn't even uncovered yet. He's got a lot of knowledge from Pat Casey and some other mentors in his life, and you can tell he soaked a lot of that in and maintained that knowledge and really reflected on it. My thanks to Kyle Nomack for joining me. Please check out the Beaver Tales documentaries website and sign up for the email list. You'll get one email a month maximum. Last shout out before we go, Children's Garden is a great nonprofit I love to promote a little bit. They're over in the Philippines. I personally know the people who run this organization. I've been there. I've helped out. I know some of the kids who are still there. They've basically just got a home for kids who are living on the street, and now they're getting education. They're being taken care of, and they oftentimes live there for years before they go off to college, and just amazing stories. So if you can check out what they're doing, maybe even donate, you can uh, go to childrensgarden.ph. That's childrensgarden.ph. Thanks so much for tuning in to the Beaver Tales podcast. My name is Josh Warden. Until next time, everybody, good night and go Beavs.